Dr. Tim Ree, you talk a lot about sex. Yeah, that is a very true thing. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty much what I do all day. Uh, so it makes me a fabulous dinner guest. Just putting that out there. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Coworking Weekly Show. As always, I'm your host, Alex Hillman. As you can tell from our intro, we're going to be talking about sex. Not office romance. No, 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 no. We're talking about something else entirely. You see, I've been thinking a lot about the places outside of coworking where we can learn from. And since I think we agree that coworking has a lot to do with relationships, we should probably start talking to people who understand human relationships outside of the workplace to see what kinds of lessons we can bring into the workplace. And that's why I'm excited to put together today's episode. My co-host, Adam Tedderis, sat down with our friend, Dr. Timory Lee, who is an educator in human sexuality and just an all-around badass when it comes to understanding how people interact with each other on a deeply human level, whether or not they have their clothes on. This episode's going to be interesting. I guarantee you that. It's going to be entertaining. It might be a little bit challenging. It might even be a little bit provocative, but I encourage you to go in with an open mind. Dr. Timory is going to be covering a lot of topics, some that you may have heard of, others that you may be completely unfamiliar with. But most of all, in a really short episode, I think she's able to give some incredibly actionable advice to thinking about how you interact with the people around you, regardless of how emotionally close you are with them. So without further ado, let's get into the episode with Adam Tedderis and Dr. Timory Lee talking about human sexuality and collaborative work. By the way, we're going to say this episode is mostly safe for work. Maybe we'll call it rated PG-13. But then again, that's true of most episodes of this show. I hope you enjoy. Um, I, I'm interested in the fact that you talk a lot about sex because I mean, sex is one facet of, of your understanding of people. But I, I have a hunch that your research, your background in sexuality just means that you have a closer understanding of the way that people operate in general. Absolutely. So sexuality often gets placed in this separate vacuum. And the way that we compartmentalize it as though it is a separate thing, as though it's a luxury item. But in reality, sexuality touches on every facet of our existence. It's part of our biology from before we're born. It affects our experience as social creatures in every culture. And, and you know, depending on who you are and your identities may determine what access you have to power. It also affects the way that you experience religion. It, is, uh, it, it determines pretty much every facet of your life is affected by it. And conversely, your experience as a sexual creature will then affect how you go out and live your life and, and the way you spend your time and, and prioritize. So to, to be a person who considers himself a sex expert means you also have to know about just being a person. Yeah, I think, I think that's exactly why you're perfect for a conversation about the way that people operate in in uh, a work environment, uh, the the way that somebody comes to a collaborative work environment, but it, it doesn't have to be something like this, like in the hall. But uh, the relationships that you build, the the way that you pursue relationships that are not just personal, that are professional, and and whether or not they have, do you, do you think that they have something in common, like personal and professional relationships share some seek for fulfillment? Yeah, I think we have a perception of work-related relationships as being simply goal-oriented, that we're mm. all here for some either collective higher purpose or individually looking out for ourselves and just making use of who is around, you know, minimizing the amount of annoyances that, that we cause each other. 
Uh, but it, it totally has the possibility as well of being one of our greatest sources of strength because uh, human beings are some of the greatest assets to have when you're when you're considering your career. So mm-hmm. other people around you are not only like fun and like, uh, yay, my friends are around me and I like to see these people, but also they they contain vast bits of knowledge and skills from which we can inordinately benefit. Yeah. So if we look at it collaboratively, yeah, they're very actually quite similar. Yeah. So it, one of the things that I think is interesting is, you know, in, in an environment where you are professional, I think it's almost as if people restrict themselves from certain biological pursuits, right? Like a, a personal relationship and the way that you are outside of work seems to be different uh, from the way that you handle yourself and the way that you uh, interact with other people when you put on a suit and a tie and you're in a different context. Is, that, is it appropriate to keep them as separated as they are? There's a, there's a certain degree of health that comes from just keeping your work life separate from your personal life because you need to be able to take breaks. Mm. Like that is important. You need to have some delineation that is time for yourself because one of the biggest problems that's happening with, you know, the ubiquity of technology is that we can get stuff done all the time, which yeah. is also its strength. So we never get to check out. Now, granted that, that you could just say that like, you know, it's cool. I can chill 20 minutes, whatever. But like your best work will come when you are separated for a while. Yeah. You will be a more productive, more creative, more clever human being when you get legit vacations. Yeah. Like when you get to go be completely unplugged and take in, you know, a new scene without having, you know, your, your regular life still chained to you. But, you know, we also we also are going to approach these things differently because of, I mean, ultimately all of our stuff, all of our behaviors with other people is ego motivated. Yeah. Like trying not to feel like stupid idiots. And that's like our biggest, that's the reason people do most things is I just don't want to feel like a stupid dorky idiot. Yeah. And when people date, they date like, God forbid, the worst thing that could happen is that I look like an idiot. And then you go to work and it's like, just, just don't look like an idiot. And, and, you know, it's, it's when you feel good on your game, like then you're like, oh, I'm going to be the best at this or whatever. But that's what they definitely have in common. That's <laughs> a good point. I, like there, there's definitely a feeling of when you're in the groove, like when you feel confident about yourself, the way that you get work done, whether you're productive in, in terms of the stuff that you're working on yourself or, or just the way that you talk to other people. I mean, like everybody's had a day where they just stumble over themselves and they can't get untangled from like. I just don't, I, I can't talk to anybody today because all the words that I'm saying don't work. Mm. But I, I, I like that, and I've never really thought about those feelings I've had when I've gone on a date. Those feelings I've, I've had the exact same feeling when I'm, I'm just like in my nine to five and I'm getting stuff done in the office. Huh. Um, you've talked about a really, really wide array of, of topics. Um, I'm looking at a list right now, and this, I, I grabbed this from your website. I'm looking at a list of topics that you've talked about, sexuality and uh, the cancer patient, LGBT inclusivity, sexual wellness, fitness, body love, sex exercise, LGBTQ inclusiveness in the workplace, um, polyamory mm-hmm. is one that you've talked about. And, and before uh, you and I started recording, you, you brought up, polyamory and how it's similar to well like a collaborative workplace like indie hall say mm-hmm. right, you can you tell me more about that well first i want to uh give an operational definition for anybody who's like maybe not super familiar with what polyamory means 
So polyamory is a word that means many loves, and it is Greek and Latin alternately. For some reason, we pick two different languages, whatever. But the idea of polyamory in a relationship context is that it is possible to love and have a relationship with more than one person simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be a, an, a form of ethical non-monogamy. So that's not cheating. Everyone would know. So like someone might have a boyfriend and a wife and also a girlfriend and whatever, like whatever configuration. But there's this mutual consent. Yes, but it's different than infidelity because it's above board. Everybody knows what's going on. Um, and it is a it is a practice that is increasingly gaining uh, like recognition as a as a viable relationship option. Mm-hmm. And I draw the comparison between uh, what's happening here in Indy Hall and polyamory because what happens in a poly network is very similar. So some people their poly relationship looks like they have a primary lover and then they might have a secondary or whatever. But what is more common now. Uh, and and always actually is polyamory networks. So like, let's say you have two or three partners Mm -hmm. and then each one of them might have one or two or five partners and then each one of their partners. And so you uh, share a lover with someone, that person's your metamor. Mm -hmm. And that person is not, may or may not be someone that you like also, Mm -hmm. but you have to deal with them. Yeah. Because they have a claim on the time of someone that you also have a claim. We are bound by yeah. someone. Exactly. So you are going to have to deal with logistics. You're going to have to deal with uh, the realities of their feelings because there might be a night where you have a date scheduled with your girlfriend and then her partner, uh, her other partner is like, I just got fired from work or I'm super sick or whatever. And you as a human being have to manage, all right, now I'm disappointed because I had a date scheduled, but this person matters to my partner and therefore matters to me by extension. Mm -hmm. And I have to help in this situation by managing my own feelings of disappointment because this is going to come around again later. There's going to be some day where I need my partner to step up to their detriment. So we have to work together even though we're not directly dating. Mm -hmm. Those kind of things. And when you have a good relationship fostered in that network where everybody can communicate easily for one thing so like maybe we all share a google calendar you know whatever Uh, something like that (laughs) so we have like practical things like that but also just that degree of respect that i understand that you have as much claim here as i do yeah and that's very similar now i think it's important to you know be explicit and say the conversation that you and i are having now is not about romance in the workplace. No, that would be a totally different thing. I yeah. think I feel like that's probably a conversation that I would want to have you back for. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that's yeah, it's 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 definitely a different conversation. Yeah. But um I I find it really interesting that earlier you mentioned a, a lot of of these dynamics have to do with ego mm-hmm. uh, and taking care of your ego and it seems like uh the scenario that you're presenting uh, in the parallels between polyamory and say the collaborative workspace, a co-working space, is keeping your ego in check. It's a it's it's not necessarily about keeping it in check because what happens when ego flares up, it's not that you think you are so great. I mean, some people are narcissists, that's a thing that exists. Um, most of the time when people act out of defensiveness, mm. it's because they don't feel great. Mm-hmm. Jealousy, insecurity, all of those things. Um, are they're not necessarily bad 
they're helpful. They're like physical pain. So if you weren't able to feel physical pain, you wouldn't realize that you like have your hand on a stove uh. or that you've broken a bone. And so in that way, it's instructive because it just tells you you need to look at this. Yeah. That's what it's for. So when you feel jealousy, when you feel insecurity, that is an opportunity to be like, so what is it that I don't feel great about? Do I feel like I'm not uh, you know, getting as much recognition? Do I feel like I'm not validated here? Do I feel like I've, I'm unsafe? Uh, that I don't think that this is going to last. Like, So in a poly situation, it might be like, I'm not getting enough time with my partner, and so I'm jealous because this person is, or I'm not feeling validated, loved, whatever it is. And then you have to search yourself and be honest about those things. And monogamy as a relationship model, fine, it's great. But one of the downsides of monogamy is that when people experience jealousy, mm -hmm. they don't usually search it. Uh, instead, what they do is let's just never have that trigger, mm. right? So if I feel jealous when you talk to that lady, you have to stop talking to that lady. It rather... doesn't provoke exploration of where that comes from. Yeah, so I don't ever get any better, and I don't figure out why it is that she's challenging to me. Yeah. Like, what is it about her that makes me feel like my place is less stable? Yeah. So it's in a in a work environment, like, so what is it about you know, this particular situation that is causing me to like feel angry, to feel like I need to, you know, like lash out. What is it about this person that drives me bananas? The things we are most likely to get pissed off about from someone else are actually things that we're like not dealing with on our own. Yeah. Like we're really good at projecting and then like, <laughs> like loathing elsewhere. Yeah. So these conversations are, uh, are ways to level up yourself. Yeah. I think um, uh, conflict resolution in uh, uh, a, a space like we're in right now in, in a community like uh, I'm a part of with, with Indy Hall is, is interesting because a lot of it relies on people having to look at themselves uh, deep inside of themselves and figure out what the problem is so they can tackle it. And you and I had a conversation uh, just before we turned the mics on about what that usually looks like. And I, I gave you an, an, an anecdote of probably the most common uh, friction, like pretty trivial friction, I think, that will come up in my day. When someone will say, hey, the, the person who's in my like desk area is always on the phone, which is really loud all the time and bothers me. And when they bring that to me, I, I don't have an instruction, but I usually have the question, like, do you happen to know what that person's name is? And more often than not, they don't. Uh, the, the person who has the complaint doesn't know the first name, let alone anything else about the person who is bothering them. And I think that's interesting because in, in a work environment, we're trained to just get our shit done, do it, and don't worry about anybody else. But similar to a polyamory, like a polyamory experience, this is a workspace, this is a community that inspires people to ask more questions, be more exploratory invoke a conversation with a person that might be troublesome or immediately stressful, but it's, it's going to make you level up, like you said, and your relationship. And then that's a piece of a, a larger community in, in general. Conflict resolution in terms of uh, polyamory. Are, are there any other examples of, of like how somebody can take a lesson from that, that, that school of thought, a polyamory school of thought and apply that in a professional setting? I'm using air quotes. <laughs> well, I think one of the one of the things that is really true about polyamory is that it's not a distinct separate way of relating. 
it's just that it's exponentially more people are involved. So it's the same. It's a series of dyadic relationships, even if it's actually a triad or, you know, a W or whatever the configuration is. It's a series of those because let's say I have conflict in my triad. It's because I have conflict me between me and this person and me and this other person. And then there's, you know, feelings between them as well, because we're all individual people with our, with our reactions and our senses of selves. And that, but let me just pause you right there just to be totally uh, uh, clear on what you're saying. Um, when you say dyadic, you're referring specifically to a pair of people. Yes. So dyadic, when there is yeah. a problem, it is between one person and one person. So, yeah, because even if it's a group conflict, it's still ultimately... I mean, we can have like an in-group, out-group mentality. Yeah. And when you're talking about this person who, you know, you don't know their name. Yeah. That's because you've put them in an out group. They're not in your tribe. So you don't care, right? Like, yeah. they could be fucking whoever. And yeah. so whatever. I don't care. That's just people are noise. And and one of the things that popped into my head while you were talking about that was actually, this is just take sort of a feminist lens to it. This is going to sound like a little bit of a departure, but there is a there is a thing in our culture where girls are raised to basically think that other girls are stupid. Mm-hmm. Like, so I look over there and I see this gaggle of girls and they're all wearing Ugg boots and drinking like pumpkin spice lattes or whatever <laughs> yeah, we're supposed sure, to think sure. is stupid. They're delicious. I don't know why we've decided they're awful and like <laughs> yeah. basic or whatever. They're fine. Um, we see these girls and they're all giggling and isn't that annoying? That's so stupid. And whatever they're talking about is dumb. You categorize them. Yeah, because because we've all internalized this message, first of all, that whatever... Uh, people outside of our group are doing is stupid and of course whatever young woman is doing is inherently silly yeah um and not important but the reality is as a, a young woman you know i'm gonna get together with my friends and we're gonna giggle and we're gonna be annoying to somebody else yeah we are all individual people who are interesting and have like our stuff and when you're in that tribe it's important and it's and it's funny and it's like we can have moments of levity right so when i when i think about this coworker who's talking too loud because they're not in my tribe, I find them annoying. Yeah. When I think of them as someone in my group, that's my buddy, that's my friend, that's my teammate, they're doing their thing. Yeah. And I don't have to take it personally because we are all doing our things. And if somebody is doing something that's like literally holding me back from doing my job, like I can't function cognitively while there is like someone talking, because that's mm-hmm. a thing then I'll approach that from a much more loving place Mm -hmm. because it's not like this external thing, like this buzzer's going off. Instead, it's going to be like when your cat's meowing, it's like, oh, come here, sit on my lap and shut up. (laughs) So so it's like that too. (laughs) So the lessons, the the lesson to ascribe here for conflict resolution is, is mostly about like being vulnerable enough to, to be compassionate and empathetic for people that are annoying Mm -hmm. because Every single one of us is, has a bunch of challenges. And, and the more annoying the person, realistically, the harder li- their lives probably are. Mm-hmm. And if you can, you can set aside some space in your, like, your soul to like, think about... Like, that person's life's probably pretty hard. Because if they're not very self-aware, yeah. to, to like, feel the empathy for them and be yeah. like, you know what? We don't have to be like best buddies, but I, I'm going to view you as part of my tribe. And then you can be like, you know what would be cool is if you you know, have your phone calls maybe in a different room and then you can come back and everything will be great because I'll be really excited to see you when you come back. Um, That's a really interesting (laughs) spin on it. Like if you go away, I'm going to miss you while you're gone and I can't wait to see you when you get back. Take your phone call somewhere else, please. (laughs) 
That's with, good. With with any with any conflict resolution, whether it be like a dating one or your parents or co you know like coworkers, whatever, uh, it's ultimately about using I statements and owning your feelings, mm. right? Like, it's not what they're doing. It's not is where you are because there's a time and a place where you wouldn't have their reaction. Yeah. So owning that, like in that particular moment. So I'm not very good at like, if you ask, like if there's a song playing in the background and you ask me about another song, I can't do it. Gotcha. My brain won't do it. It's just not a thing. You, I you're do. focused on what your ears are processing right now. Yeah. Just, like that's it. Whatever, whatever neural connections are related to music, like are currently occupied. Yeah. Lo siento. But so in this so in this conversation with somebody, I'll be like, so if I'm hearing like someone talking, especially one half of a conversation, that's incredibly distracting for our brains because we're trying to fill in the rest of it. That's hearing true. half of a conversation is one of the worst things in the world. So what I would do to own that is to be like, so I have a really hard time working when I hear half of a conversation. Is there like another space where you could do that? Or, or... You can take proactive steps and like bring earplugs, yeah, or bring headphones because you can also just like manage your. Because that's business taking too. care of yourself, yeah. Of course, although the former is is I think a really appealing approach because it takes care of two people potentially mm. by bearing a little bit of what's taking place, not hiding that that point of conflict, that yeah. stress. Yeah, I mean, if you approach something from a place of like loving and like gentle trying to foster a better in, uh, work environment, that's an opportunity for you two to have a good relationship mm -hmm. as opposed to waiting until you're so full of resentment that you flip out on them. And they're like, this person just flipped out on me. Yeah. Like I didn't know. Yeah. And then you came and you were so full of anger because you held it in for too long. Like whose fault is that then? Yeah. And I, I, th I think that goes, that's a little universal setting expectations and sharing uh, like a personal status update. Like, here's where I am right now. Where are you right now? Mm -hmm. As opposed to waiting in total radio silence until it's too much and you break. I think that applies to every kind of relationship. And I say that because in this week alone, I think multiple people have presented scenarios where a friend of mine is dating and they haven't talked about where they think they're going, the trajectory of where they're going. And they're pretty sure this is going to end badly. Ah. Right. And it's like, <laughs> I think you just outlined all of the reasons it's going to end badly. Mm -hmm. um, and the, all of that is stuff that, you know, it's not reserved for romance. It, it finds its way into every kind of relationship, just expectations and calibration of where you are and where the other person is. And, and being like, if this person is aware of, where this is clearly going like it's a good idea to have okay so like can i dime myself out for a minute yeah all right so the last time i personally had a breakup i was thinking i was like oh i want to break up with this person and then i had an epiphany which is like if i'm unhappy they probably are too yeah and i know that actually when i think about it when i stop viewing it through the lens of my own experience being what matters yeah when i start thinking about the fact that i still care about this person we're just not meant to date sure and then i thought about it from her perspective and i was like she wants out of this too mm -hmm. so then rather than having a terrible conversation where one of person has to be like the breaker upper mm -hmm. and you know then there's this like inevitable feeling of like power loss and all of that instead come at it collaborative from all right so i see all these things 
not working for you. Mm -hmm. These are all things that like are not working for me. What can we do about that? Yeah. And then we come to a collaborative decision about it. And if the collaborative decision is to work on it, then we work on it. If the collaborative decision is to take a step back, then we have done that together. Mm -hmm. And we can have a good relationship going forward. Mm -hmm. And we can both feel like our egos are intact. There's nothing wrong with me. I didn't get dumped. Yeah. And I'm also not a jerk who leaves anybody. It's just we gave it a shot. You know, whatever. And if it was meant to be worked on further, you know, just like here is where I am. Here is where you are. And I see where you are. I see your experience. I recognize that. I validate that. I see how this is difficult for you. That goes a long way. Mm -hmm. It's an incredibly long way. And if we want to keep it going, the power of like positive reinforcement is so much greater than negative reinforcement. How do you mean? What does that sound like? So when we have conflict, if we only give people feedback when it's not good. Yeah. That's that's not a great way to either shape their behavior uh, or foster a relationship because they just come to associate you with negativity. It's like a really shitty Pavlovian reaction. Exactly. It is exactly that. So yeah. like every time you talk to me, it's because I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. And then in my head, you've got a lot of problems, buddy. <laughs> right. Like you seem to just have a lot of issues because that's how my ego defense is going to go. Because it's course. not it's not that I'm doing a bunch of annoying stuff. Um. So instead, positive reinforcement would be like lots of thank yous for when they do stuff that's cool. And that and like it may not be anything significant. It might be just token gestures of like, you know, like I appreciate that, you know, you don't that, like you keep your, your space clean. Like yeah. that really helps my my brain function better. You know, it's whatever it is, it's not bothering you. Yeah. Giving them positive feedback about that. Having an awareness for the things that are like. Just, nice and pleasant exactly just raising the awareness that you and i share a space and that affects each other let's talk about the things that it's like you're doing well that like you're not sitting there eating super smelly lunches you're not blasting music you're not i don't know whatever could potentially be annoying um just thanking someone for i appreciate that you know pleasant and your face is nice whatever yeah, <laughs> sure sure but <laughs> gratitude in whatever form it comes out yeah just yeah. being like be pleasant first be pleasant be first. pleasant first yeah they, it, that seems so easy uh, but it also seems like it's probably the first thing that we forget to do it requires a lot of energy yeah it does it requires a lot of energy but it it feeds itself the the more that you put that stuff out in the world, the easier it is for other people to take that up and then they can give you that energy back too. If we all go into this being like, I have a piggy bank full of energy and it's going to get depleted by the end of the day and I don't feel like spending it on you, hmm. then that's the, that's the mentality everyone's going to have, the starvation mentality. There's only so much energy I have. Mm -hmm. And if we go in here with a mindset of abundance where I'm going to, I'm going to create this little ball of energy here and then I'm going to like toss out bits of it and then other people can make theirs bigger too and then they'll toss out bits of it. Mm -hmm. And then collectively, we have all created something together. So at the end of the day, I might physically be tired, but I feel good and accomplished and like I spent time with people that were cool. 
If you learned as much in that episode as I did, then I'm going to encourage you to mark your calendars for April 21st. No matter where you are in the world, we would love to have you at the People at Work Summit. And Timory, Dr. Timory, is going to be back as one of our very own keynote speakers. There's a lot of reasons to be excited about this event, which is the very first of its kind in that you can literally attend from anywhere you can find an internet connection. And that means that in the last week since we announced the event, I've heard from people in Myanmar, from people in India, from people in deep parts of Africa that I'd never heard from before. And they're all saying thank you for creating a way for us to join the global co-working community. So whether you've been to a few co-working conferences before or this will be your very first time, I really look forward to seeing you online on April 21st with keynote speakers like Dr. Timory Lee. Head over to peopleatworksummit.com to get more information, find out when tickets are available, and get yours. We've got a whole lot more of our speakers going to be joining us on the show in the coming weeks. Uh, This is going to be a lot of fun. I look forward to sharing more of them with you and I hope you have an awesome week.